Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. The Sacramento-San Joaquin Delta is a vital estuary for wildlife, fish, and migratory birds. It's also a place that some Northern California tribes have long accessed for subsistence and ceremonial purposes. But now those tribes say out-of-date state regulations have brought the Delta to the brink of environmental collapse, and they want a voice on how to turn it around. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency is now looking into the tribe's complaints. We'll hear more after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. In the heavily indigenous country of Guatemala, indigenous citizens hold high hopes for the upcoming administration of their newly elected president. Maria Martin has this report. Maya anthropologist Irma Alicia Velasquez Nimantuj shared in the nationwide euphoria after the upset landslide victory last Sunday of reform candidate Bernardo Arevalo. In many ways, this is a dream that comes true. For indigenous people, she says, there are now hopes for a different Guatemala, one in which the Maya and other indigenous peoples aren't marginalized and treated as second-class citizens. So this is the opportunity to change the reality, to stop the migration to the United States. Uh, this is also a special moment for indigenous women. Indigenous women in Guatemala have been working very hard for justice. Velasquez herself has suffered threats for her work as a columnist in the now-closed newspaper El Periódico. Her hopes for change are tempered by the reality of a Guatemalan system still trying to block Arevalo from taking office. We, we know that Arevalo has many challenges, but we also recognize that it's possible to start to change and to build another Guatemala. Maya Quiche anthropologist Irma Alicia Velasquez Nimantuj has taught at Stanford and other U.S. universities. For National Native News, I'm Maria Martin. There's plenty of conservation work to do on tribal lands, but it's not always easy to get indigenous people into those positions. But groups such as the Forest Stewards Youth Corps see the value of working with them, and it's made an impact on the community. Emma Vandenindy with KUNC has more. Chaz Robles is the director of Ancestral Lands Conservation Corps, another conservation group focused on recruiting indigenous youth in the Mountain West, like the Forest Stewards Youth Corps. He says investment in youth training programs is critical. So reconnecting those young folks to those places and spaces is a really powerful opportunity for those young folks to, to really find a passion for the outdoors and the lands and the waters that their ancestors uh, inhabited. And that passion is being pursued. 30 people from Jemez Pueblo have already gone through the Youth Corps programs. And of the 23 people who served on all of the crews this summer, 12 said they are pursuing or plan to pursue a career in natural resource management. Kyla Magdalena had a similar experience. She expected to go to work straight out of high school until she fell in love with tree plot planning. It was kind of like a scavenger hunt because <laughs> they would just give you like the map and the coordinates. Now, she wants to study geographic information systems. That really inspired me to like 
I plan to get my degree and come back to the community and help out with, with land. That's paramount for people like John Galvan, the tribal forest manager for Jemez Pueblo. He says the work doesn't get done without the trainees' help. He gives them all the same advice. Go out and explore the world. I will see what's out there and get your education, but do come back again to help our people, our community, our landscape. Galvan hopes that more indigenous people will take up conservation and use their knowledge of the land to help preserve it for years to come. That's what it comes down. What are we leaving for our future generations? So it's great to have these kids that are interested right now. Hopefully we can direct them to become foresters again, um, well, um, hydrologists or any uh, endologists uh, again. For National Native News, I'm Emma Vandenindy. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Nobody likes a crowded highway. A crowded crib is even worse. For a safe night's sleep, use a fitted sheet only and be sure there are no toys, blankets, or pillows around your baby. Support by the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission. Ready to start, manage, or grow your small business? The U.S. Small Business Administration can help with advice and resources. See what SBA can do for you. Go to sba.gov start. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency is investigating California's water management following complaints by tribes. A coalition of tribes and environmentalists in the Sacramento-San Joaquin Delta cite poor water quality and overall ecological decline. They charge the California Water Resources Control Board with discriminatory management practices, giving preferential treatment to large agricultural interests. Today on our show, we'll talk with tribes about the state of the Delta and get more insight into the complaint. We'd also appreciate hearing your thoughts on the issue. Do California's methods parallel with what's going on elsewhere when it comes to water management? Join our conversation with your questions or comments by calling 1-800-996-2848. Of course, that's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. We're joined now by Melissa Taeba, who is in Shingle Springs, California. She is the vice chair of the Shingle Springs Band of Miwok Indians. Hello, Vice Chair. Thank you for speaking with us today. Hello. In Redding, California, we have Colleen Sisk on the line. She is the chief of the Winnemum Wintu tribe. Chief Sisk, pleasure to welcome you back to Native America Calling. Yes, it's good to be here. And speaking with us from Stanford, California, is Stephanie Safdie. She is the clinical supervising attorney and lecturer in law for the Stanford Environmental Law Clinic. Hi, Stephanie. Great to have you on the show. Good morning. Delighted to be here. Good morning to to all of our guests today. And Vice Chair, I'd like to begin with you. And if you could please briefly explain your tribe's main complaint about how the state of California is managing this water in the Sacramento-San Joaquin Delta. Hi. Um, 
Well, first, I just, you know, wanted to explain who, who, who we are and where we come from. And um, we are the Shingle Springs Band of Miwok Indians. Um, we are located in Shingle Springs, which is about 35 miles east of Sacramento. Um, we're a small tribe. We have approximately 550 people. Um, our tribe is of mixed ancestry. Um, we are Nisanon, um, Miwok, and Hawaiian. Um, and our Aboriginal territory actually spans across seven counties, including um, Sacramento, Yolo, El Dorado, Placer, Sutter, Yuba, and Amador. Um, and with that being said, um, if we want to talk about why why this complaint was filed, um, it's because we have a serious concern with um, how the water is, is being managed um, and how it's been managed and how it is affecting us um, and our livelihood. And we know that um, the State Water Board has failed to um, review the water quality standards to the Bay Delta plan. Um, and we know that it was last updated in 1995. And um, we, that affects us um, tremendously because of the state of the water. Uh, we have serious concern of this ecological um, crisis that our water is in. Um, and, you know, when I'm talking about ecological crisis, we're talking about um, low flows, we're talking about the species that we've, we're, we're losing, um, we're talking about the high, high water temperatures, um, and of course, the harmful uh, blooms. And um, we are seriously concerned of what's going to happen next. And that is why this petition was filed, um, because we would like to um, see a change and make the water board um, update the plan. Vice Chair, you just shared that the, the last update with regard to the quality water quality standards was in 1995. But as I understand it, they're supposed to be updated every three years. Why has it been so long, almost 30 years? Yeah, we we don't know, um, and that's uh, part of the reason why we um, this mismanagement has seriously affected uh, tribal people, um, and so that that is the big question: why hasn't it been updated? Now, the EPA's Office of Civil Rights is is conducting an investigation. Why is this a civil rights issue, Vice Chief? Well, the water quality affects how we practice culture. And um, just with what history has shown us, um, how we've been really left out of um, all of the decision-making, um, but yet we are the ones that will suffer the most because the waterways is who we are and where we come from. Our village sites were and are all located on the waterways. Um, so that's why. Okay. Well, tell us more about the, the historical and cultural significance of this water to your people. 
Um, the significance is that the waterways was um, our our original home, and um, of course, with colonialism, um, you know, Sutter came somewhere like 1839, and that is the time when we basically are removed from our original home. For me specifically, um, my, my villages are at the confluence of the Feather and the Sacramento River and at the confluence of the American and Sacramento River. And, um, you know, life a long time ago for tribal people, that was our life. We are river people. Um, we are fishing people, um, and that is who we are um, as tribal people. And, and so that disconnection um, really hinders how we practice our culture. Um, we know that we are connected to those spaces, and it is part of our responsibility to ensure that those spaces are protected. Um, we... Uh, we're very, uh, the health of the plants and animals on the river is something that's very, very important to us. Um, our creation stories all deal with water, plants, animals. And so this, this is really about our life and, and our existence. And Vice Chair, just within the last few decades, uh, how has how have some of these negative impacts been felt there by your people? Have you can you notice just within the last twenty or thirty years that, that it's gotten much worse with regards to these water quality issues, or do these date back many many years? Yeah, I think most definitely. Um, I see that the river is. Um, in some respects, disappearing. We know that a lot of the development is um, definitely uh, it, it's happening more and more, which leaves us with less and less natural resources. And this and, EPA. And, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And no, go the, ahead. And right. the um, mo- the the most Im- the other most important thing is the state of the water quality um, and the fact that, you know, it's not safe. And and when I go back to my villages, um, the water quality is very much affected. In some areas, we have E. coli, we have HADS. um, And so poor water quality um, is definitely is there. Well, tell us more about the EPA investigation. What specifically do you want them to investigate, and what are you hoping to gain by the investigation? We just want them to investigate why the Water Board hasn't updated um, the Bay Delta plan. That's the goal. Um, We want to know why that that hasn't happened and moving forward, how do we make it better um, for native people, but for all people? How do we, um, we know that we need water. We know the fish need water and um, we're really interested in how um, they're going to change what is happening on the waterways right now. And Vice Chair, 
Uh, how confident are you that this EPA investigation is going to yield favorable results? I, I'm hopeful. Um, I think most importantly um, that the Bay Delta, um, we need some tribal beneficial uses put in there um, for our sake. Um, most of all, I think uh, they need to engage with tribes. Um, my people have um, been on this land from the very beginning. Uh, we know how to manage it. We know what it needs. Um, and so I'm, I'm very hopeful. I, I think it's a slow process, um, but I, I'm really hoping that they will engage tribes because tribes have always been left out. Vice Chair, thank you for kicking off our, our conversation today. We're going to have to take a short break here. And I encourage uh, anyone listening today who would like to ask a question or has a comment about uh, this pending investigation, this EPA investigation there with regard to California's water management system and uh, some complaints by tribal communities in the area. Our phone lines are open right now. We've got our producers. They are standing by. We're ready to take your call. We'll put you through. We'll get you on the air. That number, of course, 1-800-996-2848. The number again, 1-800-996-2848. Give us a call. We definitely want our listeners to engage with us on our show today. Also, you can always reach out on Facebook and Instagram. Like our show. Comment there as well. Short break, and we'll be right back. Robbie Robertson's songs are among the most iconic in popular music. The songwriter, guitarist, and founding member of the band went on to incorporate his native descendancy in his music and causes. We'll hear from those who were influenced by Robertson's music on the next Native America Calling. I'm Michael, and I used to smoke. I never used to think about breathing. Then my left lung collapsed, and I was diagnosed with COPD. Now I think about breathing all the time. I'm on an oxygen machine so I can breathe. I take medicine so I can breathe. My tip is, enjoy the breaths you don't have to think about. You don't know how long you'll have them. Smoking can cause COPD. You can quit. For free help, visit cdc.gov slash quit now. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're discussing water management in Northern California and how it relates to tribal concerns. We reached out to the California Water Resources Board, the agency responsible for water management. The board could not provide anyone for today's show, but they did issue a statement. They said the board hasn't had sufficient time to respond formally to the EPA, but will work collaboratively with the federal agency to demonstrate that the board has complied with all civil rights laws. The statement goes on to say that the Water Board values its partnership with tribes to protect and preserve California's water resources. The full statement can be found on our website, NativeAmericaCalling.com. Join our conversation with comments and questions by calling in at 1-800-996-2848. Let's bring our second guest into the conversation now, Chief Colleen Sisk with the Winnemem Wintu Tribe. 
Chief Sisk, uh, tell us more about how your tribe is advocating for water quality in the Sacramento-San Joaquin Delta area. Yeah, we are a uh, salmon tribe, and we come down from the Mount Shasta watershed that follows the Sacramento River all the way to the bay. And there is a significant problem with the salmon populations uh, utilizing the bay delta, and that's sort of how we're involved with this this issue. But also it's like, you know, uh, this is probably the first time that Title VI complaint to be filed against uh, the water board through the EPA has been done since its beginning in 1964. So, you know, the tribes are just getting to a position to call out what is happening because the effects are going all the way through the state. Yeah, certainly. We, we, um, interesting developments here. And, and earlier I asked Vice Chair Tayaba, you know, why is this a civil rights issue? And, and I'd like to ask you the same question, Chief Sis, because that's a, you know, there's, there's injustice and there's things that might be wrong, but to go so far as to call something a civil rights issue, that's a, that's a bold, bold statement and accusation. Why so? Why do you feel so strongly? Um, one, because the water rights that have been developed for California happened a long time ago, and there is people with senior water rights, junior water rights, and first-in-time water rights that seems to be overlooked. And what happened in this case is that the over-users got all of the um, ability to establish waterways that were inefficient and uh, harming the whole state water systems to what we have today. But you, and you can imagine too, is like when those water rights were coming about in 1914, and that women didn't have a right to vote then. You know, they didn't get the right to vote until 1922, and California Indians were not citizens of the state until 1924, and other minority groups and workers um, certainly were not allowed in those rooms talking about water rights. But now we're at the point where um, the alleged, well, what we're saying is discrimination about uh, our uses and our uh, right to subsistence fishing and land, um, like having pure water. Mm -hmm. So EPA, you know, it's determined that the alleged discrimination um, would violate the Title VI and the EPA's civil rights regulations, you know, and that is uh, kind of what we're pushing for, too, is some sort of a um, change in the water rights so that the overuse, the outsized harms, like shipping to uh, places in the state that doesn't have its own water, but also that the state is not really actually building facilities for it to capture its own water. And so there's a little mishap, you know, it's like they're using Northern California water all the way from Mount Shasta 
to bring it down through the valley and then ship it to L.A. and San Diego, making all of the communities vulnerable to poor water conditions. You know, and uh, they talked about the algae blooms, but also in the Delta right now, which is one of the Winnemum's uh, big complaints, too, is, is that the Delta smelt are um, pretty much extinct, except for a few that are being raised at UC Davis and trying to be reintroduced into the Delta. That's because of water mismanagement. But the other part of that is, is that because the Delta smelt are no longer in the Delta, feeding the salmon that are coming in to acclimate to go up river are now eating anchovies, which are detrimental to their health. Those anchovies are like sugar to Indians. You can eat it, but it's not good for you. And what happens is that the anchovies cause the salmon not to be able to produce healthy eggs. All right. All right. Uh, Chief Sisk, thank you for, for that further clarification there. And let's go ahead and take a caller now. We have Michael who is listening to station KUYI online. Good morning, Michael. How are you doing? Uh, not too bad. Uh, yeah, thanks again for uh, having me on the show. Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm calling from uh, Chochenyo Ohlone land, uh, better known as uh, Oakland, California. But, uh, yeah, my question is for the for the host, is uh, for the uh, guests are uh, – I know that certain tribes, uh, like in particular the Nisanon, who are uh, from the foothills, Sierra foothills, and kind of the Nevada City area, there, they're uh, trying to get federal recognition. Uh, at least to the best of my knowledge, they're they're still not a federally recognized tribe at this point in time, and uh, how that would uh, affect their ability to to get water and then say for example if they're not uh federally recognized at this time do they basically just get it like like a private consumer like you know like a farmer or or anyone else would uh and uh yeah that that's basically my my question uh Michael, thank you for calling in today. I appreciate that. Those are good questions. And let's go ahead and uh, have Chief Sisk respond because, Chief Sisk, uh, the Winneman Wintu, you folks lack federal recognition. So how big a factor is that with regard to this investigation and these complaints and, and any possible solutions with working with the state? Yeah, that is a huge injustice that has happened to California Indians and tribes. And one of the issues is, is that this law, the Civil Rights Act, which, which um, is against discrimination, right, was made in 1964. That's like 30 years before, you know, BIA dreamt up this federal recognition list. So we should have re- rights reserved or retained from our very existence here in this state, which we're exercising, even though people want to put us down and say, oh, you're not federally recognized. But then my, my thought is, is that, oh, okay, since I'm not on the BIA list, and my, all my tribal people are not on the BIA list of federally recognized, what are we supposed to do? Mm-hmm. Just stop? 
just quit, just give up our lands, give up our tradition, give up our songs, dances? Is that what we're supposed to do because we're not on that BIA list? But other federal agencies, like the EPA and Forest Service, they have an obligation to the tribes that are in their footprint. That's <laughs> and there is no hope for any of the tribes to gain federal recognition through the BIA process. Okay. It's been since 1980. People have been applying. Other tribes have been applying since the 1980s. And nobody in California has achieved recognition through the BIA process. Chief Siska, I, I, yeah, and I certainly relate to, to that challenge. Uh, but, but I do want to address the second part of that caller, Michael, his question with regard to, so without federal recognition, what is the relationship there with the Winnemum Wintu and the state and uh, and their claim to the water. He suggested, are you just considered like other consumers or is it sort of like a nonprofit status? I mean, how is that relationship different than say uh, a California tribe that does have federal recognition with regard to, to these water issues and access? Yeah, if you look at the complaint, we are listed as a tribe, not as a nonprofit. We do have a nonprofit that we do some work on and, you know, trying to maneuver through the government's um, categories for owning our land or for speaking up for the salmon or for holding our dances on the river. You know, there's a lot of maneuvering happening, but we will always go forward as a tribe. Okay, okay. So we're just quickly then. organization. Okay, understood. So if you're listed in the complaint as a tribe, then are you confident then that uh, moving forward, the, the Winnemum Wintu will will have the same privileges and, and the same provisions as, as a federally recognized tribe with this with these complaints and with this investigation? I, I think that we will, as long as our co-partners who are federally recognized don't uh, do something that would harm us. Got it. Got it. Thank you, Chief Sisk. Let's go ahead and take another caller now. We have Eleanor, who is listening in Bristol Bay, Alaska, on KDLG. Good morning, Eleanor. Thanks for calling in today. Good morning. What that lady just talked about, the United States, quote-unquote, is um, recognized only traditional or IRA and the federal Federal list of BIA is set up to compact out 81% of the monies that are supposed to go to the tribes. Anyways, um, I was going to tell that lady to start their own BIA, uh, EPA. I did write one in 2000, and Scott Scafoli of BIA Region 10 said, um, had some original office worker in BBNA come sign a compact with the village council, which was not was not whom I wrote the grant for. I was working on a traditional tribal elders. And um, he changed the EPA to IGAP. And when I went to Seattle, Seattle said there was no EPA in Alaska. So, you know, you got to create your own indigenous um, EPA and have your chiefs get things done. The state won't do it because their interest is only for the state corporate entities and that's who they work for and that's what they do and that's what they'll keep doing if you keep allowing them to you got to raise your status to your traditional 
And you have the name of your tra- uh, traditional name of your people. And you don't need to go through federal BIA list, which is just a, a, a list to compact 81% of your self-government funds. And, Eleanor? You, know, you need to... You, yes? Uh, go ahead, Eleanor. Just I, I want to thank you for calling in. And, and go ahead and continue. And go ahead and wrap up your thought there. Appreciate it. Yeah, the self-government is... is the self-government of traditional is recognized only by the president. And IRA is subservient to the United States, where you have to ask permission before you can write your own constitution. You have to have your own constitution to be recognized. You could give that to United Nations, and all indigenous are recognized by uh, United Nations, I mean. Okay. All right, Eleanor. Appreciate you calling in today, Eleanor, uh, up in Bristol Bay, Alaska, and and chiming in with some some good insights with regard to federal recognition and, and some of those policies. So let's go ahead now and, and bring in our third guest on the show, Stephanie Safdie, who is a lecturer in law for the Stanford Environmental Law Clinic. And, and Stephanie, again, I want to thank you for joining us. And uh, these EPA investigations like we're talking about on our show today, how common are they in California? Well, thank you so much for having me, and I'll and I'll just make clear that um, the Stanford Environmental Law Clinic is uh, representing the claimants here, including Winnemucca Tribe and Shingle Springs Band of Miwok Indians, um, um, as their counsel on this complaint. Um, well, rare, I think, would be would be the answer there. Um, so, you know, this is the first time um, a complaint has been filed against um, the California State Water Resources Control Board. Um, certainly the first time an investigation has been opened into it. There have been a few prior complaints um, about water management against uh, regional agencies. Um, but um, to my knowledge, an investigation wasn't open into those. So, um, so this is, uh, we're, on, we're on novel territory here. And how does an EPA investigation like this, how will it work since they're not all that common? Well, so the the EPA investigation is governed by the um, Civil Rights Act and and implementing laws, implementing regulations that the EPA has adopted that that governs how it should proceed, as well as policy manuals. So that's that's well set out. Um, kind of the general contours of it are that the the EPA has now that they've accepted the complaint, which means that they've found that we've satisfied jurisdiction, as Chief Sisk was saying, they've. Um, they've looked into our um, allegations. They've been doing that for about seven months now, um, and they found if they if they bear out by their investigation that those would um, constitute a violation of the civil rights of the complainants. Um, so now that they have made that determination, they have the EPA under their implementing regulations has 180 days to conduct an investigation, um, kind of ground truth those allegations, get the, get the full picture of what's going on around water management in the Bay Delta. Um, and then at the end of that, they would issue preliminary findings um, on discrimination and recommendations for how the state would need to come into compliance. Um, the, the EPA's laws, the regulations also call for it to try to seek informal resolution where they can, which means that um, the EPA, the State Water Board, the complainants um, can all come to the table um, and as this investigation is ongoing, try to work out what an appropriate and just and equitable resolution would be to the allegations in the complaint. 
180 days to conduct the investigation. So what's the timeline? When do you expect uh, that investigation to wrap up? Well, it depends on, we're just at the very beginning of this, and it depends on what course this goes down. Um, if there are no informal resolution processes, then we would expect those preliminary findings to come out in mid-February. Um, if there, there is um, an informal resolution process, like alternative dispute resolution or, or some other mechanism that brings the parties to the table, um, then that, that, that clock um, could be extended while we work together to figure out a solution. Um, okay. One of the yeah, so and, and I would just. I'm sorry, Stephanie, we're going to have to take a break, but, but mid-February, it sounds like, is the, the closest or earliest uh, that this could come about. So, folks, uh, anyone else with a question or comment, 1-800-99-NATIVE. Give us a call. Do you want to start? manage or grow your small business? The U.S. Small Business Administration can help. I got help from SBA from the very first day. They have taught us so many different things like government contracting, finding funding, and how to get new opportunities to do business. There are people who are there to help you, and that's SBA. For your small business needs, go to sba.gov start. All SBA programs and services are extended to the public on a non-discriminatory basis. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We invite you to join today's conversation about water management concerns by tribes in California. The number to share your comments on air, 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. We have Stephanie Safdie on the line now. She is a legal counsel for the two tribes that we have represented here through the Stanford Environmental Law Clinic. And Stephanie, before break, we had to go to a quick break there. I'm sorry, but you were sharing details on the investigation timeline. Please continue what you were saying. Oh, thank you. Um, I, I think I was, I was just going to say that, um, yeah, 180 days would be probably the earliest marker for when we would expect preliminary findings. Um, but, um, but we could come to the table and, and try to hash out what a resolution would look like. And um, one of, the, um, one of the, the key features of our allegations, which the EPA has indicated that they will be looking into, is the, is the timeliness of the state's action or, or here in action, their failure to update water quality standards for the Bay Delta. Um, and so timeliness is a real, is a real element here of, of both the underlying violations and also of how um, we hope that this investigation and, um, and resolution will go forward. Well, yeah, and that uh, those updates to the quality standards there, going back to nineteen, I mean, that's just so so long. And is that typical of other areas in California with water quality standards, or is this unique, going so so long without an update? The Bay the Bay Delta is is unique in a number of ways. It's the largest freshwater estuary on the Pacific coast of the Americas, drains half of the freshwater in California. Um, and because it's so vast and so important, the State Water Board um, has itself decided to adopt and, and implement the water quality standards for this area. So ordinarily, it's the regional boards that do that through basin plans. Um, and here, the State Water Board is directly itself adopting uh, water quality control standards for the Bay Delta. Um, 
And uh, it has been a feature since the State Water Board began to adopt those standards that the timelines for um, evaluation for review of those standards have been really prolonged. Um, the updates have been infrequent. Um, so, so as as um, the prior guests were indicating, the the State Water Board last substantively updated these standards completely for the Bay Delta in 1995. Um, around 2009, it started a process to review and um, and update those standards again. Um, in 2018, it completed an update for part of the system, but those standards haven't yet been implemented. So that that part, the San Joaquin River, part of the Bay Delta, is still effectively under the 1995 standards. Um, and for Phase Two for the Sacramento River. Um, for the for a large swath of the delta, we're still under those 1995 standards. All right, and uh, I, I want to ask Vice Chair Tayaba one more question. And Vice Chair, I know you have to go in, in your time is urgent, so I appreciate you sticking around. But another issue that we have not discussed yet is, is the fact that there are millions of people who rely on the the delta for drinking water. So where does that all? fit into this whole discussion now with regard to water quality and, and some of these other issues with regard to plants and cultural practices. I mean, there is drinking water that's, that is, it is vital to so many people in this area. Yeah, I think that they need to, the diversion of water, they really have to think about how they're going to balance that. Um, because yeah, everybody needs water. Um, people need water. Fish need water. Plants need water. So I think that whole balance um, is really um, actually a really good question. How, how, what will that look like? Vice Chair, thank you again for joining us and in, in, uh, participating in today's dialogue. And Stephanie, back to you. The uh, the drinking water issue uh where does that rank in terms of just this whole hierarchy of concerns that are that are listed in this complaint? Absolutely. Well, you know, if you look at the overall use of water in California, the vast majority of human use, about 80 percent, goes to agriculture. Um, so, you know, as we were discussing before, every year about 50 um, percent or more of the water that would naturally flow through the Bay Delta out into the Pacific Ocean is diverted. And the majority of that goes to diversions for agricultural purposes. Drinking water is important. It's vital. Um, in certain cases, it's compromised because of how much water is diverted out for industrial and agricultural uses. Um, so as Vice Chair Tayaba was saying, you know, we need to look holistically at how this water is being managed and make sure that um, it's satisfying the values that should be at the core um, and that are legislated into the core of, um, of how our water quality system is supposed to work. Um, and, you know, and to date, um, the water rights claimants who have acceded to or exercised water rights that were acquired um, during a period of colonialization, of, of genocide, of displacement of tribal communities, have exercised outsized, um, kind of an outsized say in how water is managed, um, diverted, and used um, in the Bay Delta and across much of California. 
And I'm glad you mentioned that because that's another issue here at stake is that uh, tribes have not been adequately consulted. And yet apparently the state of California is negotiating with some of these large, large uh, agricultural and water usage uh, entities. So um, what's it going to take? What's it going to take to include tribes into those discussions? We'll see. It is a piece of the complaint. Um, We've pointed out that um, the way that water quality standards have been set and the diversions haven't been established are set um, in in many respects through exclusionary closed-door processes. Um, A good example of this that the complaint points out is through a um, process that the state has been undertaking um, to establish voluntary agreements with the large water rights claimants, um, so irrigation districts, water districts um, that use waters in the Bay Delta. Um, and if you look at the list of, of signatories to those draft agreements, uh, there's there's no tribe on there. The tribes aren't party to those agreements. They're not invited into the room. They're not at the table um, as those as those conditions are being hashed out. Um, and that's that's the definition of an exclusionary process. Um, meanwhile, as as um, Vice Chair Tayaba was saying, you know there there are many reasons why these out, um, updates have been delayed. We don't know all of them, um, but there are good indicia that they um, have been and are being delayed to allow for these voluntary agreements to be hashed out so those can be considered by the board. Um, and as long as voluntary agreements are at the core of how um, water control standards are established, um, that that just kind of re-injects um, injustice um, and inequities that are embedded in our water rights system straight into the way that water quality standards are established. Well, thanks, Stephanie, for that clarification. And I want to go back now to, to Chief Sisk and... Uh, Chief Sisk, looking ahead here, tell us a little bit more about how you envision uh, a better solution here to how the water is managed there in California. And what would you most like to achieve here through this investigation and the complaint? Um, One of the things, you know, you mentioned about drinking water uh, for a lot of uh, California people throughout the state. And that's on our minds, too, because, you know, we need better regulations on the farms and on the agricultural systems of discharging water back into the Sacramento River. There are no mandates that says they have to do anything to filter that water to put it back into the Sacramento River. There's no uh, mandates that says how they're going to repair the levees to actually benefit the fish that are in the river. They're putting right now big boulders along both sides of the levee from, you know, I don't know how many miles that is, but it's a long way. That heats up the water. Having too many rocks on the river like that and no shade, you know, there's so many things that in nature could help the entire state of California if we just instituted more natural things. Like in north of Sacramento, when the water comes in, there are a number of invasive species that are climbing up the cottonwood trees and just killing them. They they uh, grow over all the willow like, you know, a mash tent that it just suffocates it and it dies. That's killing all the food sources and 
part of the temperature regulations on the river. No one's doing anything about that. And so I think, you know, if we get a voice in there, it's not to cut everybody off. It's like, let's put this back so that we have good water, good water to share with everybody. And good water takes plants and, and fish in a waterway that is um, natural and start going back to that instead of just exporting water the fastest way that you can and then revitalizing it when it gets to San Diego because it's dead water. It goes down the aqueduct and there's nothing in the aqueduct. They should put Thule in the aqueduct to help purify the water as it goes down. But, you know, there's so many things that could be di different and I'm hoping that we do get a chance to um, have a voice on that board and we do have representation because we are the first peoples who have seen these rivers from the very beginning of, of these uh, practices that are now in place that most younger people don't know it any different than that. Chief Sisk, uh, really good insights today. Thank you for, for providing those. And we have time for one more call today. And uh, that caller is Eva, who is listening in Northern California on station KGUA. Good morning, Eva. How are you doing? Okay. Um, I just wanted to say that as an example of California water mismanagement, sod is being grown in Fresno um, extensively and um, to Home Depot and wherever. And it's decorative. It's not agriculture agricultural. It's decorative. When we're being encouraged not to grow lawns, there they are, encouraging the growing of lawns. That's what it's there for. That's what sod, one of its uses. I guess others are football fields and, um, you know, recreational sports and decorative um, opportunities, not agricultural or anything that we need in Northern California being, being washed down to water their sod growing operation. Eva, thank you for that call. Uh, sod being grown. So uh, obviously there are these competing interests and, and some of these interests have a lot of power and, and a lot of money and they can really uh, push a lot of these uh, policies and uh, these practices through. So I want to go back to Stephanie. And, geez, it just sounds like, uh, unfortunately, Stephanie, you folks are, are fighting some really, really powerful corporate interests on this. Uh, going forward, what's your strategy when, when, you're, when you're going up against such powerful, powerful entities with such a long history of these practices that you're accusing them of? You know, part of it is to, to sit in the power of our complainants themselves. And we have the Shingle Springs Band of Miwok Indians, the Winnemum-Wintu tribe on the complaint, other partners. It, you know, the Winnemum-Wintu and Shingle Springs have been here since time immemorial. As Chief Sisk was saying, they've stewarded these waterways. They know the fish. They, they know this ecosystem. They're intimately familiar with it. They've seen it change. Um, you know, it's why we're seeking for tribal ecological knowledge to be incorporated into how water management is done for tribal beneficial uses to be protected, to make sure that, um, that there is, um, that cultural survival, cultural practice is, is assured. Um, and, uh, and there is, there is so much power in that. There is so much to teach. Um, so that, that gives us tremendous strength and tremendous hope. 
Um, and we also, you know, we have to have optimism and and hope in what um, our this uh, this investigation and um, adjudic and uh, civil rights um, our civil rights laws can yield. Um, this EPA has um, has been committed to um, to using the Title VI process um, to bringing parties to the table um, to making sure that um, that civil rights of um, are guaranteed um, and that recipients of, of federal funding um, are upholding their obligations under the civil rights laws. And, and those laws don't differentiate between um, recognized or unrecognized tribes. In fact, these distinctions in many respects only underscore um, how um, unjust our system is. Um, there's, there's state action that um, that is baked into those distinctions, um, and we, you know, we didn't talk about um, the the uh, state of California's history and the federal government's history of um, entering into treaties with California tribes that were never ratified, um, and it should be a source of both federal recognition and reserved rights for tribes. Um, there is a long history here to stare down, and that history reaches straight into the present and has through lines in the inequitable treatment of tribes and communities of color in the Bay Delta. Um, and um, I think, you know, the EPA is, is clearly ready to stare that down, and they've indicated that in taking up this complaint. So, so we're hopeful. All right. Well, a long history indeed. And at this point, we're going to have to wrap up. We've reached the end of our hour. But I want to thank our three guests on the show today, Vice Chair Melissa Tayaba, Chief Colleen Sisk and Stephanie Saftil for sharing their time and insights regarding tribal concerns over water management in Northern California. And I also want to thank our callers today. We really appreciate you folks joining in on the conversation as well. And if you weren't able to call in today, go ahead and comment on our Native America Calling Facebook page or go to our website, NativeAmericaCalling.com, or check us out on Instagram. You can continue the conversation that way. Folks, uh, thank you again for listening to our show today on Native America Calling, and please join us again tomorrow. We'll be talking about the music and legacy of the late Cayuga and Mohawk musician Robbie Robertson. Take care and enjoy the rest of your day. Do you want to start, manage, or grow your small business? The U.S. Small Business Administration can help. The SBA, first and foremost, has truly made me a better entrepreneur. It's empowered me with the skills of understanding how to really run my business better, more efficiently, how to market and grow my company. It was probably the best thing I did for my business. For your small business needs, go to sba.gov start. All SBA programs and services are extended to the public on a non-discriminatory basis. Support provided by Amerind. Amerind is 100% tribally owned and partners with tribes and their businesses to provide affordable commercial insurance coverage, protect tribal sovereignty, and strengthen Native American communities by helping to keep dollars in Indian country. Information about property, liability, commercial auto, and workers' comp available at amerind.com. That's A-M-E-R-I-N-D.com. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, 
with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.